ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to these. Go to eleven once again. I'm Nathan Bell. Joining me as always is not Zach Bartles this time. Unfortunately, he wanted to join uh, both my co-host and I on this one tonight, but could not make it. Instead, I have the incomparable Nathan Bartleball. Nathan, how you doing tonight, man? I'm doing well. How you doing, Nathan? It's been a while. I thought you said the incompetent. <laughs> like, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I haven't had a podcast like released in like uh, seven months, but really, it was kind of rough. <laughs> so I'll, I'll take incomparable. The the, the students become the master critic. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that was the other thought. I was like, that's the meanest thing I've ever heard Nathan say. <laughs> no, it was definitely incomparable. Bull, uh, bull. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah, bull. There, exactly right. I, I'm doing well. Uh, we're it's the summer is going by so quickly. We're we're already into July, and not even like just into it. We're like a couple weeks into it at this point. I know, um, I know. Doesn't it feel like once once the fourth comes and goes, like you just kind of look back on the rest of the summer and you're like, where? Where is it going? You're trying to like hold on and grab onto it before it's uh, before it's too late. Yeah, and and as you know, and I, I know you have the, the the school situation, so that's a little bit segmented. I, I don't have that except kind of through the kids. But like as you know, when the with the kids, it even seems even more truncated because they're in school, they're in school, they're looking forward to summer, and then realistically, these days they get out and it's really a, like a fourth of the summer is gone. Yeah. <laughs> traditionally always considered the summer you know as you start getting into late may and whatnot and then like they're out and you know within two weeks it's the fourth of july and then there's a few more weeks and then before you know it they're right back into school again yeah yeah now now tell me nathan because i know i know maryland uh had this whole back and forth thing about we're going to start before labor day we're going to start after labor day it was we're going to start after and then that that whole decision was reversed did Baltimore County decide that they were going to start after this year, or did they reverse in their starting before? No, I am pretty certain they're starting after. Yeah, they're okay. starting after because because my wife is this year is going back for her uh, master's because my daughter uh, will now be in kindergarten. But there's a week or two there where we're going to have to work a few things out because we were expecting them to be back in school or we were anticipating they would be back in school yeah. because of flopping back and forth with it. So, gotcha. uh, so they'll have, I think they'll have an extra week or so. So, but nice. Their big thing is there where uh, they don't know yet, but we're going to Disney in two weeks and taking them. And I've never been personally myself and they, they, they have no idea it's happening. Awesome. So. I can tell you as someone who went uh, much later in life, I didn't go until uh, five years ago. Um, you guys have kind of the all-inclusive thing, right? Like you're staying at one of the resorts, you got the meal plans, you got everything going on, right? Yeah, my wife, bless her, basically made it her job to get the most like ridiculously uh, cost-effective, like showed it to me to the point where I really couldn't, I had no arguments. Right, right. Just, I'm like, I can't really argue with that uh, plan possible. Like, she, you know, I was like, is this real? Yeah. <laughs> Did you do the math on this? So she worked it all out because I'm, I'm like the kids grab your peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. We'll camp outside. Right. <laughs> you know, outside the gate kind of person, yeah. which usually in a, 
and they were long run. That was my my family handled things, and it always usually just made things more stressful and difficult. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you have to do that, but um, I am I'm actually I think that when we get to it, it we will be very we will all be very grateful that uh, there won't be a lot of trying to take nine nine buses and cars back and forth to get there, or trying to eat your Cheetos as fast as you can so you can get to the next stop. Yes, yes, and I can tell again as somebody who went, um, not only was the the all inclusive package thing great, but like just as an adult going. Um, I, you know, I, obviously I, I can't compare it to, you know, what it's like through the eyes of a child, but like I had a fantastic time as an adult going and experiencing everything that Disney had to offer. And I don't really, I don't think I was necessarily cheated on anything not having been when I was a kid. So I think, I think you're really going to enjoy it on two fronts. I think you're going to enjoy it personally going for the first time, but I think you're also going to enjoy looking at it through the eyes of your kids and the way they're going to experience it and see it as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm looking forward to. I, we went a couple, a few years back when uh, the children were both so young that we ended up leaving them with, um, with family members. My wife and I did go to Universal mm-hmm. uh, for, uh, for like one day. And have you been to Universal Studios? It was years ago that I was there. Okay. This was post uh, the Harry Potter world, which is just ridiculous. Re- ridiculously detailed. I mean, it is phenomenal. And just how much, uh, like, even if you're not a fan of Harry Potter, just to see the work they put into it and the level of like world building and in building this, and you can walk through it and just how immersive it is like to the point where, you know, even at night you can walk down the back alleys and the dark wizards are like down the back alleys. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It took a wrong turn. <laughs> right. You know, there's a, it, the, the children have wands that interact with the water fountains and, and, and turn things on and move things around. And it's, um, it's just fascinating that alone, there were lots of other cool things, but nice. uh, my only thing with Disney is like, now that I'm finally going, after all these years, and it's not a huge thing because we're, we're going really for the kids. But you know, I'm looking up all the rides that I remember seeing or hearing about that I always wanted to to ride. You know, yeah, as, yeah. A, as a kid, I'm like closed two years ago. <laughs> it's like the the Epcot dinosaurs have been taken down so they can put up Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, uh, there was there was an old one, an old uh, ride called uh, Maelstrom, which, which was based around like Norse mythology, and it was trolls and everything, yes. Scandinavian folklore, and, now and they it's let it they go. Literally it is. It yeah. is indeed. It's a, it's a frozen ride, and it's kind of disappointing because you can watch on YouTube. You can watch the scene by scene where you've got these giant mossy trolls that look like islands raising up out of the water. They were animatronic and giant polar bears, and then you see where they've replaced it with like Sven and Olaf. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, now, now that being said, I think my daughter will lose her lose her mind when she when she sees that but uh, yeah it, it's a little bit bittersweet but they still apparently have the peter pan ride and it is apparently still a huge hit it is and it actually that was one of my favorites at um at disney world as well at magic kingdom it, it's it's such a simple ride but it's so cool the way the way they've done it you, you won't be disappointed in that one at all i think that'll become one of your favorites as well uh- I remember reading years ago, and it's why it's always stuck in my mind, is uh, Ray Bradbury writing, like probably not long after that ride was open, how grateful he was to Walt Disney to be able to see the London skyline that way when they rise up out of their beds and, yep. and fly, never land. So I was like, well, if it's good enough for Ray Bradbury, that's right. I'm sure it's good enough for me. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> All right. All right, man. Well, so on last- that trip, Nathan, you are going uh, far from home, are you not? 
Yeah, yeah there you go. Great segue. <laughs> Was that a little too on the nose? It's it it, it is fine. <laughs> Sorry, I just took a drink of water. Little pause there. Yeah, I, I heard you doing it, so I started doing the same. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but yeah, you and I, Nathan, we're uh, you know we were we were doing some talking. We got together. Um, you know, occasionally we still get together, even though we don't podcast as much. And it's like, hey, such and such a movie's coming out. Let's go and check it out. Or hey, did you catch this movie? Do you want a podcast on it? And nine times out of ten, the answer is yeah, let's do it. But then trying to coordinate our schedules is uh, a little bit more difficult. But it's um, crazy because we live ten minutes from each other. I know. <laughs> like, I know. Ten minutes is an exaggeration. We live like six minutes from each other. <laughs> right. <laughs> And, and literally, like, we both have the equipment and the technology that even if we can't get to one another's house, we can literally call and still do the recording, which is I what know. we're doing tonight. Um, I was inspired by the kids on the walkie-talkies and Stranger Things. I was like, <laughs> I got to get on the handle and get in touch with, uh, with, with Wild Fox or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But, but uh, Nathan, I hope this actually does become a semi-regular thing, at least, that we can get together and we can talk about some things. Um, you know, when we were recording together frequently, we did summer blockbusters, we did uh, winter blockbusters, fall, you know. Um, and we have one movie that we want to talk about primarily today, but there are a couple others that... Because you've only seen like one movie. Yeah, I know, summer. I know. <laughs> Shh, you're, you're, you're pulling the curtain back. Don't, 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 <laughs> don't pull the curtain. Don't pull the curtain. Ignore the man behind the curtain. Um, but... Yeah, actually, uh, that's that's not true because uh, you and I have seen two movies together. One of them was just an oldie that we saw with your son and had a fantastic time. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, and I think actually I had more fun after the movie watching him uh, get eaten by that shark than uh, during the movie. Oh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, let's um. Why don't we go ahead and just uh, let's do because I, I do want to dedicate uh, the majority of this podcast to Spider-Man Far From Home. But let's kind of rewind a little bit to a couple months ago where you and I went out and saw the movie Tolkien together. Um, and what were what were your, some of your thoughts on that? Well, Given that, like a few moments ago, before we started this call, and you said, "Hey, let's talk about Tolkien," I forgotten we watched it. <laughs> so there's that, but that's not that's that's not a complete reflection of the movie. That's partly because so many things have gone on and so many things have happened. Yeah, uh, since that time. So that was was that May? I guess that was still uh, the May that Tolkien came out. It right? was, yeah, yeah, it, and. Um, yeah. It was certainly a smaller release, and uh, it's one of those movies that, like, I feel like it was counter-programmed against Avengers Endgame with the idea that a few adults might accidentally, like, wander right. in the theater to see it after dropping kids off or something. Um, and they had been – I don't feel like it was super advertised, but I feel like, you know, I'd seen a couple trailers, I'd seen a couple things, mm-hmm. and um, I – Obviously, I think anyone who's into fantasy and and also kind of from the the uh, perspective of anyone who may know Tolkien for some of his other writings or even some of his uh, his Christian thought, then there's there might be some vested interest there. I thought, as far as the movie goes, I thought it was okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a as a biopic, it was fine. It was a little. I will say. 
there were things about it that were a little bit better than what I expected because I kind of went in. I'll, I'll put my cards on the table here and say that when I see some of these movies, movies like Tolkien or uh, you know, a few years back we had a movie Luther about Martin Luther and things like that. And well, Sometimes when we get these movies that have been clearly – made by a base that's very reverent of the source material or, or the or the or the source person. Yeah. They they can often be dry. Yeah. Dry or or almost uh, played a little too safe. And um with Tolkien, I think it falls more in lines I I, I mentioned Luther, but it, it probably falls more in line with a series of movies. Like it's it's in more that vein of like say Finding Neverland. Yeah. Uh, Shadowlands, which was the C.S. Lewis uh, movie that starred Anthony Hopkins. I think it came out in like 1994. Yep. And uh, now, that being said, I think both of those movies were better movies than than this one. Mm-hmm. Um, it fell uh, – so Nicholas Holt – actually, I thought he did a very nice job. He did a good job. He's a good actor. Uh, most people may recognize him from Beast, playing yep. Beast in the – recent iteration of the X-Men series, the the ones that began with First Class. Uh, he's been in other movies. He was in Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, I, th- I think um, nothing else off the top of my head. But Wasn't he, he in kind of like a driving action movie type thing? Didn't he do something with cars at some point? Yep, Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, no, no. I was thinking of something else, like more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it may be. Um, he's he's done a decent amount of stuff. I was also thinking of a uh, a zombie movie. I think it might have been, um, oh, I can't remember, Cold Hearts or something like that, where he played a zombie who had started to have like some sort of, uh, you know, reaction. Like he had uh, feelings and emotions and started to, was starting to think for my, himself. My boyfriend's dead too no 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 no. this was this was a bit better than that uh warm bodies was the name of the movie Uh, okay i actually i think you would probably enjoy it it was kind of a fun heart light horror comedy more comedy than horror i think it's a g13 if i remember and he had kind of he kicks off this uh resurgence of the zombies remembering who they who they are because he falls in love with a girl. It's not my boyfriend's back. That movie was terrible. <laughs> um but he's been in some good stuff. I thought he did a nice job here as Tolkien. Uh the movie though doesn't seem all that interested in who Tolkien is as much as hitting some of the highlights of what we know about him on a surface level. Yeah. So if you are someone who knows a little bit about Tolkien and you maybe read a uh a book or even just an article about him in school one time or, you know, have, have read Lord of the Rings in passing or the Hobbit, uh, then you probably know just about as much as what's covered in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the parts that aren't covered, it's really hard to tell what's dramatically created and what, uh, is, is, is truth. So yeah. you get those, you get a flavor of the, of, of points of his life. Of course, they deal with the moments when he's at college and forming these friendships. And they also have the moments where he's in the war, but, uh, the movie feels very episodic, but not in a good way. Yeah. And how about you, Nathan? What did you, what, how, what were your thoughts about it? Yeah, I, um, I, so I enjoyed it to a certain extent. Um, you and I were talking after the movie and it really felt like up until the point where he got to college and he was actually delving into uh, the 
the language and the syntax and all that stuff. It was actually it was it was just okay. And they got to this part where he's at college and he's really starting to explore his love of languages. And to me, that's where the movie really started opening up and becoming more interesting and where I almost would have wanted to see a lot more of the story. Um, but overall, I mean, I thought it, I thought it was a decent movie. I, you know, I feel like it's I feel like it's going to be one of those movies that every uh, teacher who teaches Tolkien is going to buy and use to introduce their their students to him. Does that does that make sense? You you know those movies. Um, so I yeah, feel it's, like it's a it's a safe kind of wholesome movie. It yeah. certainly doesn't do anything to uh, to taint or even hint at uh, tainting anything related to Tolkien. Uh, it deals with it pretty straight on. I think it it does it has some dramatic moments. I agree with you that the sequences where he's at the college and he's starting to immerse himself in language are the best in the movie. And and part of that reason is it's, I think the longest sequence where we're in one place dealing with one element. Yeah. Uh, We've got a romance story that kind of doesn't go anywhere. Really. We've got the war pieces, which are very much fragmented and they also are going to great lengths to, tie those in i've just also kind of a, a a nitpick for me with a lot of these biopics is when someone has written a great novel mm-hmm. uh granted of course we can see mirrors between what he ultimately writes that forms the lord of the rings trilogy and his experiences in the war but the movie ties such neat bows that we see dragons breathing fire and then right. these, of course become uh you know the fires over over top the trenches in world war one so those images are there, but they're tied up so nicely that it's hard to get an emotional handle on the war. So the sequence is where he's at college and he's doing this thing that that really all of every all of this other stuff sprang out of, you know. Yeah. That the the histories of Middle Earth sprang out of his love of language and his desire to delve into that. So that's what was interesting to me because we were seeing the genesis of something we don't often see in movies like this, a movie that took, takes the time to be about language can be interesting because no movie often takes the time to be about language. It helped, too, that Derek Jacoby was playing the professor that he was bonding with, sort of his mentor, yeah. who's also uh, obviously a great actor. But just as that story starts to take off, just as we're really just enjoying the kind of languid rhythms of the, the movie, because it's slow for a while, mm-hmm. and one could argue that it's slow in those sequences, but there it gets a certain rhythm Mm-hmm. that is just sort of that works and then somebody runs into the campus uh courtyard and screams war and then the movie loses its way again yeah yeah and and for me i think i think that's the, the biggest problem with the movie is um yeah, i i think it could have been something better than what it was like i saw the moments and i saw the potential in the movie to bring it to that shadow lands or to bring it to that finding Neverland quality, but it just, it, it, for whatever reason they, they chose to go a different direction and it couldn't find its way into that category of the movie. It wanted to imply his relationships more than latch onto them, which is, which is, was, which was not what Shadowlands and Finding Neverland did. They based those movies around relationships that these, these, uh, 
authors had and then let everything else spring from there. And so I think that that was part of it. But I agree with you. Part of the problem with the movie is it's good enough to make you wish it was a lot better. Yeah, yeah. And we've talked before on on the podcasts about about those types of movies. You know, in some ways, um, it, it doesn't make the movie horrible, but in, in some ways it does because you're like, man, I, I see the embers of of a really good story and a really good movie and, and you just snuffed about on me uh, before you brought it to me, so – yeah. That being said, the last thing I will say is the the film is uh, is it a, is it a PG thirteen? If it is, it's a very mild yeah PG thirteen. Uh, and if you've got some, uh, if you have somebody who's younger who is interested, would be interested in Tolkien, who has maybe read some of the Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. I think it's a fine movie. It really yeah. there. It, there's nothing wrong with it, and there are some things that are right with it. It's just like you said. I think that we are. We're holding it to this standard because we have – I don't – no one's really made a Tolkien movie before, and I think that Tolkien you know, deserves a good movie. So a sort of all right movie is a, is, is a waste of the resources. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, just, just on that note real quick, you were, you were saying about bringing children. If, you, if your kids have already seen Lord of the Rings, the, there is nothing over the top in this that they wouldn't have seen in that. So um, yeah, the, the, the war scenes are handled. Well, there's, yeah. there is of course the, uh, intimation of what's going on there. And there is some, like the, the toll of war is shown, but we're not talking about extremely graphic scenes. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So Nathan, we, we moved from May and we moved into June where we went and saw an oldie, but a goodie. Uh, Jaws, an uh, oldie but a greatie, really. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and we went with a uh, special guest, one uh, Johnny Bartleball, and uh, he's seen Jaws before, correct? He like I had managed to get uh, it, that. Was, it's been a point of contention. So we went. Um, Nathan and I went to the Senator uh, here in Baltimore of York Road, which is one of these. Uh, one of the probably last few, like, one of the last few great, like, movie houses that are really left standing probably across the country. Like, it's yeah. on the, it's in the historic registry and everything. And, uh, it's probably the one of the best places I can think of to go see a movie, particularly, you know, where we are. And, uh, it's added on small theaters, but it still has this big main theater. And it does revive, it's been for the past five or six years, been doing revivals of classic movies. So we've mm-hmm. been to see Planet of the Apes there and mm-hmm. Big Trouble in Little China yep. and things like that. And they've done Jaws, I think, every year. They do Jaws every year around the 4th of July for the past, like, three years, including this one. And the past the past one, I was trying to get my wife, let me take John to see Jaws. And it was like, no, no, we're going to the beach. We can't do this. <laughs> he's not going to handle it. He'd seen some other movies. And, uh, um, and he's seven. So he's seven. He was six last year. Yeah, it's a little young. But I'm kind of skewed because I saw a lot of these things very right. young, you know. Yep. And uh, we ended up we ended up taking him to go see The Meg last summer, which, of course, just total like ridiculousness. Uh, but they were they handled that. And I was able to sort of leverage the fact that Meg is a PG-13 and Jaws is a PG. Right. This is probably not the best leverage. And so I was able to finagle it after we went to the beach. 
we did show the kids dolls, and it's so funny because they're so you the they're so used to sophisticated special effects now yeah. that jaws just seems second rate like i believe johnny may have actually said this isn't as scary as the meg when, at that point in time which which was kind of just just kind of drove a you know <laughs> like a stake into my heart i was like right. oh no we're gonna have to work on this um now that being said, so we, we go and we see this in the Senator Theater on this giant screen and the moment when the boat when you know, there's a moment where Richard Dreyfus has gone down to the water to inspect the boat and this kind of um bloated dead body sort of just bumps up against out out of the hull, the broken hull of the ship, and he jumped from his seat into my lap. So yeah. I don't know I don't know if we're still in the in the arena of that's not as scary as Meg Right, right anymore. <laughs> Oh man, and it, it you know really it was a great fun time. I mean, going going to the senator is always great, and seeing these old movies come back to life because there is that feeling of man, th- this is what it was like. You know, we're gonna do a Stranger Three, uh, Stranger Things three. Uh, episode in a few weeks here with uh, Zach Bartles and and you and me we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about that uh, and and we're going to have a lot to say about the the eighties and that era and this just has a classic era and feel to it that is unlike anything else. There's no uh, you know there's there's no what we would consider you know high tech seating. We're not talking about stadium seating here. We're not talking about reclining chairs. There's no 3D. There's no IMAX. It's just it's it's a fun. It has ambiance. That's it, what it has. Yeah, it, it has does. Ambiance. It does, um, and and it's appropriate ambiance too. You know, it's yeah. you're going to see the movie, and and I remember when we went and saw Big Trouble in Little China, and the the crowd was appropriately rowdy for the movie, you know. And we're going, and and you and I went and saw Alien together, and the crowd was, you know, uh, just uh, appropriate for the movie. And same thing with Jaws, you know, the crowd was just, you're going to this movie, you're all going, and and there's just something that sucks you in and pulls you back to that time period of cinema that you can all kind of bond and relate to and and, uh, just rally around, which which is great. A, a great and it, go ahead yeah a, a, a point to what you're saying is there were crowds there are crowds that's yeah. the kind of cool thing is when you go in you kind of have to find a seat which is neat for a movie that's you know 40 some years old uh as jaws is and uh and you're right i remember talking about jaws uh jaws was one of the first things we talked about when we when we did the old podcast when we did pop culture ninja if you remember we did that whole spielberg series yeah. In the summer, I think the BFG was coming out at the time, and talking about Jaws then, and then be able to re-see it, it's still such a great movie, and it's a great movie without any of the things that currently pop up in current summer movies. You know, yes. even Spielberg's not making movies like this anymore, and it's so hard to pin that movie down as any one genre. Like you come to it and you think horror film, but it's not really a horror movie. It's kind of this. Uh, Ernest Hemingway guys versus nature movie for a chunk of it. Yep. It's a suspense movie for another part of it. Uh, it's just, 
And it was cool to see it with my son because even though, you know, we'd watch it at home, I think he, in a way, he was just seeing it. You know, you could kind of watch him and realize he was just getting it in a sense. Like he, you, if you noticed him, he was on the edge of his seat. He was into everything, you know, yeah. not just the scenes with the shark, but the scene he's laughing along with the guys on the boat. Yes. And, the, and, and, and Dreyfus crunching the cup. His plastic cup after uh, Quint smashes his beer can, you know, and like his look on his face. My favorite scene in the movie is when those when those uh, barrels bounce back up on top of the water and we're watching them bob along a, a few feet in front of the, the boat, and which is the only representation you have in that moment of the shark. Yeah. So, you know, you're watching it. it it's kind of has this majesty to it even though there's no shark on screen you've just got a couple bouncing barrels and that was something that spielberg was so good at i think evoking wonder through something kind of mundane you know he did it in close encounters with the truck shaking on the railroad tracks and you know even the glass of water in jurassic park and uh, it, it made me really pine for the old the, Spiel, the Spielberg of yore. Right, right. <laughs> not, not that he makes bad movies now, but I just feel like it's there. There was a pinnacle there of time, and for anyone who lives in the area or is remotely close to the uh, to be able to visit the senator uh, next week, they're showing the Poseidon Adventure. Yes, and I think I'm going to get his mom to take him to see that because that's her her favorite movie. Izzy nice. is already informed me she has no interest. She was bored the first time, so. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but she's a little bit younger. But um, and what then the, Close Encounters will be the end of the summer too. So nice. And one of the cool things about the Senator, um, you know, just so people are aware, there there are tons of really cool restaurants around this area. You can buy food and bring it into the Senator. They they allow you uh, to do that. Like like meals, they have tables in the back that you can set up and do that. Um, but you know, so just just so people are aware, um, you know that. There's a great burger place right next to it, a Canadian burger place called the Clark Burger. Yeah. It does like poutine with like uh, uh, cheese curds and gravy and fries. It's uh, it's it's pretty awesome. And, and milkshakes, both alcoholic and non. Yep. So, yeah, definitely if you are if you are around or you're in visiting the area, look up the Senator. Check it out. It's it's off of uh, off of York Road around Towson. So definitely worth worth your while. So. And, uh, you know, Nathan, you, uh, you and I were talking again, uh, and you texted me because we had been talking about the AMC premiere movie pass and it's like, Hey, have you got the pass yet? No, I'm waiting until the end of summer. And that's something you have. So I know you have seen uh, a lot more movies than I have over uh, the past few months, um, Give me a rundown of some other things that you may have seen uh, more recently before we before we run into Spider Man. Sure, we'll see if we can do the one line or two line movie reviews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I gotta go. I gotta go back a bit. So, well, I guess like after Infinity War. So we've seen a lot. We've taken the kids to a lot. I was telling my kids the other day, I'm like, you guys have a count. You guys have done more in the first two weeks of your summer vacation than I did in like three summers worth of vacation. <laughs> Uh, we do we do a lot of stuff, but we we enjoy it. And uh, the matinee prices, are, you know, I think around here the Tuesdays are like five dollars. So sometimes yeah. we'll take the kids. So uh, we've seen a lot. We saw Detective Pikachu uh, as a family, and I I quite enjoyed it. It uh, if you've seen the trailers and the the way the movie was built up, it felt like it was kind of building towards almost like a 
Who Framed Roger Rabbit sort of crossover hit that would draw in both like kids and parents. Uh, it's not really that movie. It's not quite that level of sophistication. It really is a movie aimed for people who know Pokemon and know the creatures. But that being said, it creates a really neat world for them to inhabit. The plot's not amazing, but there's so much neat little stuff stuffed in there. It's definitely a kid's movie. It is a kid's Pokemon movie. Uh, If you're an adult and you go, you'll be probably pleasantly amused by Ryan Reynolds and by some of the cool little creatures. My son leaned over to me as this world, as we get to the city, and he says to me, you know, uh, in Rhyme City, he looks at me and says, I wish I could live there. <laughs> and uh, and I think that's a bit of a success in terms of you want movies to be escapism. And I looked at him and said, you know, I, I would too. Right, and this right. is the, the last thing I'll say about this, is, and it's probably honestly at this point probably headed to DVD or, or Blu-ray or, or uh, on demand and not, uh, probably shortly at this point because it's been out for a month or so. Uh, he, this was one of the the few movies where I sat there and he, I had to ask him questions, and he's filling me in. So the, it is a movie where the more you know about Pokemon and the more you're aware of them, the more fun the movie will be. But that's not necessary for the enjoyment. So I I thought that that was a fine. It was a fun. Uh, it's a fun little romp. I would have, I would I have enjoyed it as much had I not had my son there and my daughter who were into Pokemon. Probably not, but it's still a uh, it's still a fun little diversion. And then we saw Aladdin, Disney's mm. Aladdin, which I had no um, interest in, honestly. Uh, I like the animated cartoon. I will admit that I kind of find it a little bit more overrated than not. Mm-hmm. Um, I, of course, in the 90s, like everybody else thought, you know, Robin Williams was great and he was really funny in that in that role. But otherwise, it's a very standard. When you compare it to Beauty and the Beast directly before mm-hmm. and The Lion King directly after, it just doesn't have the same originality or the same heart. At least I, I never really felt it did. So I walked into this expecting to honestly sleep. <laughs> and we got in the theater. Uh, it was around the Memorial Day weekend. We were going for Johnny's birthday. He picked that as his birthday movie. And we were going to the theater to see this thing. And we get into the theater, and it's like almost 87 degrees inside the theater and oh. getting hotter. And, uh, and and it's clear that the air conditioning is broken. And But all, I've got all my family there. Everyone's there. And it's like now it's about 40 minutes into the movie because it's like a, we're like in a pressure cooker kind of situation. We're right. like crabs in a pot, slowly getting hotter. So I grabbed the kids some Slurpees, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be a miserable experience. And with all of that being said, I actually enjoyed Aladdin. I was surprised as anybody. I enjoyed Will Smith as the genie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the script has given him a little bit more to do where he's playing an actual character and not just sort of – uh, the way Robin Williams was just Robin Williams. Will Smith is mostly Will Smith, but he's trying to add some dimensions and a few little nuances here or there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie is very much, it is Guy Ritchie, which I really didn't realize until I walked in, which to me was also a potentially a knock against right. him. Uh, he's a, Guy Ritchie's a hit or miss for me. But he does make it really feel like its own musical and not just a complete rehash of the Aladdin, the original uh, cartoon. So it's a, it, this really does feel like when you take the Lion King and translate it to Broadway or something like that, like there's a musical here with additional songs and additional things going on. And they actually give Jasmine something to do that legitimately makes her a character of note. And they change her story in a way that makes sense. Hmm. And uh, it doesn't feel like we're pandering it. It, everything here worked with the exception. I was not a fan of Jafar. He's kind of like the, like, 
hot teen model Jafar as opposed mm, gotcha. to this really like malevolent sorcerer. And so he never gets any kind of menace. But otherwise, I had a really good time with it. I was like not not in any shape or form the best movie of the summer, but probably one of the big surprises because I didn't think it was going to go anywhere. And I think it's played out for them. It's really become a big box office hit for them. Nice. Nice. That's great. Man. Um, what else? Godzilla was a lot of fun. It wasn't as much, it wasn't as good as I wanted it to be, mm-hmm. but it was a Godzilla movie. And, right. uh, there's another case, my son at the end, he's like, that's the best movie of the summer. <laughs> so it was great to see the monster fights are worth the price of admission. The human stuff is utterly ridiculous. And that's basically what a Godzilla movie is. Right. Right. Let that's me ask not to you, say it shouldn't have been better, but let me ask you in comparison with um, in comparison with the first Godzilla that came out, would you think it was a little better, a little worse? They're probably on the same level here. So I have gone back and rewatched that one. Twenty fourteen, and there's a lot of people that are disappointed because they felt there wasn't enough Godzilla. Mm-hmm. That was never really a complaint of mine. But I the the one the one thing that was true was they definitely conserved Godzilla until towards the end, and there was probably honestly a lot more. Um, sort of pointless human interaction because because they just never paid it off in the 2014 movie. Yeah, uh, in that one than there is in this one. I think people who really enjoy that phase of God, like 2014, had a lot more in common with the original Godzilla, the Toshiro Honda Godzilla from, or the the Toshiro Honda Godzilla from uh, the 1950s. You know mm. that original Godzilla movie, um, and then. This one is more that era when Godzilla's, you know, doing backhanded uppercuts and, you know, right, this, right. Is the, this is the Godzilla hero, Godzilla fighting various monsters. We get Mothra, we get Rodan, uh, we get King Ghidorah, and the way those monster fights happen, for the most part, is really cool. There's still a little bit where things are a little too dark, a little too ambiguous, and we always could use more of the monsters. Yeah, but uh, there's a good amount. I, I will say there's a little bit. This is better than the Roland Emmerich Godzilla. It's better than Michael Bay Transformers movies, but it does feel a little bit in that vein. Like this isn't this isn't uh, really elevated from that. It is a big American blockbuster movie, but, but when the monsters go at it, they really go at it. Mm. Nice, nice. Have you uh, have you had a chance to go out and see Toy Story Four: or The Lion King yet? I uh, haven't seen The Lion King. Lion King, I think, opens next weekend. Oh, that's right. And yeah, I haven't. Um, Toy Story Four, my favorite movie of the summer so far. Nice. Uh, I really loved it. Uh, it's weirder, to, you know. I in a lot of ways, I feel like this one is the closest to the original. Mm. Um, in in some ways, my favorite movie. <coughs> Excuse me. My favorite of the four is probably Toy Story Two. Mm-hmm. Uh, ultimately, I feel like I still remember what it was like to see Toy Story One, and and again, it was a movie I wasn't expecting anything from, and watched it, and I was like, "Oh, it's computer animation," but you know, is this going to amount to anything? And just being so pleasantly surprised, and not just by how much fun it was, but how weird it was. Yeah. You know, the yeah. idea toys being worried about being destroyed by the boy next door and the space ranger having this existential crisis when he finds out he's not he's really just a toy like a lot of weird twilight zoney things going on in this kids movie and then toy story 4 comes along and kind of ups that ante where uh 
you've got this character that's a spork that this little girl has made at camp and fashioned, uh, you know, Woody has helped her fashion him into a little character and he's ha- he, he, he just wants to be in the trash can because that's where he belongs. Right, right. <laughs> as, as he puts it, he's litter. <laughs> so there's Woody trying to convince him that he belongs with, with this little girl and the, the, the depths that have gone on, you know, and how they developed the, the Woody the Cowboy character extend here. My only one, like, slight quibble is that a lot of the characters, more than the other movies, get, get left behind a lot in this. Mm. So even, even Buzz Lightyear is not in this as much as I'd like him to be in this. Uh, the, for, for obvious reasons, Don Rickles is gone. I know they tried to sample his voice. There's very little Mr. Potato Head. There's very little of the piggy bank and the dinosaur and all these characters that before sort of felt like they were in the background, but they were kind of coming around the characters. And they're they're mostly here as like window dressing, which is okay. It, this is much more Woody's story than any of the other movies have been. Okay. But I, I, I loved it. I, I, I'm impressed that they've had a series. There was absolutely no reason to continue this series after Toy Story 3. Yeah. I mean, in some cases, Toy Story 4 is irrelevant, but it spends its whole movie proving to you why it should exist uh, in a very unforced, natural, lovely way. So I I loved it. I thought it was great. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, let's go ahead and uh, and dive into – You're not going to ask me about Child's Play? Oh, that's right. I actually, I honestly, I forgot you saw that one. No, I do. I do want to ask you about that one because we were talking about it and, and you said something that was actually really surprising to me, which was you liked it. And so talk to me about that. I like, not only did I like it, I, I liked it more than the original movie, um, which, which for anyone who's listening to this is like, okay, he's off his rocker. It is a it's a silly kind of horror movie, but it does things a, a little bit differently than the original. And I've always gone on about having issues with movies that uh, just try to rehash a movie to the point that you're constantly comparing the two. Mm-hmm. That's a big issue I have with the Pet Cemetery remake is I'm looking at it and I'm comparing it next to one another. This Child's Play movie, which deal, you know the original movie dealt with a boy who had a doll that kind of came to life and was killing people, and he was getting blamed for the deaths. And in that movie, did you ever see the original movie, Nathan? Uh, it's uh, been years ago. Yeah, yeah. And in that one, Brad Durf is the voice of the doll, and the, the basic gist is that the doll is possessed by a killer, by the spirit of, an, of a killer. Yeah. So the, the horror of that movie is... Here's your kid's happy little doll, but while you're not paying attention, it's saying and doing horrible things because it's there's this very horrible presence inside of it. And the gist of the new movie right from the very get-go is completely different than that uh, because there isn't a supernatural element, which is right up front we kind of realize this. But this is a doll that is a uh, kind of advanced creation it's intended to it's, – it's almost like an AI where they have developed it. It's supposed to sort of uh, show you love and show the child care and be their buddy. They're now buddy dolls. I mean I think the Chucky doll was always a my buddy. You know, my buddies were from the yep. 80s. I still yep. actually have my buddy. It's 
sitting right over there staring at my kids have it laid on the thing. <laughs> they cover its face up a lot. They don't, don't really like it. But now they returned him to being, I think he's a, he was a good guy doll in the original. Now he's back to buddies, uh, buddy dolls. And uh, there's even a song, You Are My Buddy, that Mark Hamill actually sings uh, at one point standing over a child's bed. <laughs> uh, the, the effects that go into, so he's a robot that all of his, uh, all of his safeguards have been turned off. And so the story that develops in this movie is about a robot, uh, a small thing that is imprinting on a child and is learning everything it knows about the world and how to interact with the world based off of this, this young preteen. And it shows how that influence kind of corrupts it and, and, and twists it because it's a robot and it doesn't know what to do. And so all the kind of comedy horror springs out of that. Yeah, and there isn't this kind of psycho killer? So everything that Mark Hamill does as Chucky is a little bit different. That's not to say this is a fantastic movie. It's not that scary, uh, but it is a lot of fun. It does get gory. It gets weird. It feels like something that you would have discovered on a video shelf in the late '80s, early '90s. Uh, there's a Leprechaun reference in the movie, <laughs> and, and there are moments in this that feel not that would have felt at home in a movie of that. And yet at the same time, it's almost like you're watching a Black Mirror episode. So there was enough to keep me engaged. I thought Mark Hamill did a fun job with it. And it was really creepy to watch the doll kind of walk around and move. They, the, the things that are interesting about him are completely different than what was interesting about him the first time around. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And, and that, you know, it, it was surprising because I know um, – you know, we've talked at length about, you know, remakes and reboots and, and, you know, it seems like there's no, you know, there's, there's nothing original coming out anymore. And so it's, it's nice to hear that even in a remake and a reboot, they can, they can change it enough to make it more interesting or to make it more fun than the original. So. Yeah, this is, this isn't going to blow your hair back. I, the way I would uh, compare it was actually to another movie that a remake of a movie Tom Holland made, uh, Fright Night. Did, did you ever see Fright Night about a boy uh, who had a vampire living next door to him? Oh, yes. It was, it was like Rear Window. Chris Sarandon was a vampire. Yeah, um, yeah. It was a really fun movie. And then in 2011, they remade it with Anton Yelkin yep. uh, and Colin Farrell as the yep. vampire. And I thought that was a fun remake that took things in a different direction. And Child's Play is about on the same level as that. Okay. Fair enough. So, and and I, it, since we're on the topic of dolls, and it's been a summer full of dolls, I will also throw out there that if you if, if you're listening to this and you are a horror fan, uh, the 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 Annabelle comes home. I'm also uh, astonished. I'm saying this. People probably just think I once I gave up my uh, actually hung my critic hat up. I became a total hack, and I just love everything. <laughs> but Annabelle comes home was a really fun. Like I, I have no idea why this movie's rated R. It's the perfect PG thirteen like uh 80s style kids horror film hmm. uh it's got a lot of really fun but not too creepy scares it's got a great ambiance of like late 70s uh and it's uh like early 80s and it's really um it's really fun to watch uh basically you've got the characters the warns that were in conjuring one and two this is more the conjuring three than it is an annabelle movie that's just sort of the catalyst uh it deals with her da- with their daughter. They leave her at home, and they've got babysitters who come in, and then all these different creatures are unleashed. So you don't have just Annabelle. You've got the samurai ghost and the werewolf ghost and you know this creepy thing called the fairy man, and it's a lot of fun. I, I really wish they had maybe 
change the rating because I, I think the R ratings go is a little bit misleading. I think people who go in expecting a hard R horror film are going to think it's a little too mild uh, when it, it's really around that poltergeist level. Uh, I, okay. So. Nice. Nice. All right. Well, here it is, the big one, uh, the one we've been uh, saving. Uh, so Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, Nathan, just uh, first impressions. Uh, tell me what you thought. Did you like it more or less than Homecoming? I liked it less than Homecoming. But that's not to say I didn't like it. And I think that the deck was a little stacked against this movie. Uh, I mean, you've got a Spider-Man movie that's coming. It's the first thing they, to hit in the Marvel Universe after this giant kind of both cataclysmic and cathartic like force that was, you know, Endgame mm-hmm. and, and, and the Infinity War in general. So you have it coming after that. And not only that, you actually have it coming after uh, – into the Spider-Verse, which is, in my opinion, the best Spider-Man movie they've ever made. Maybe one of the best comic book movies they've ever made. Mm-hmm. And so it was really, I think it was always going to be hard for it to live up, not you know, not just to Homecoming, which was a really strong, I thought, like reintroduction to Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. But then you've got these other, these other pieces that are going to affect it, and it's coming on the, the heels of that. So I... I did like it. I did enjoy it. I thought it did the job it set out to do. I don't think it was as strong as a movie, although I do. you could see that the creators of Homecoming are interested in moving Peter Parker and his world forward, are interested in moving those relationships forward, and you do see things advancing. You know, mm-hmm. It's always hard to be the second chapter. Uh, we were mentioning briefly like Stranger Things, you know. I felt that the Stranger Things season two was fun, but not quite as much fun as the first go round. And a lot of that's because you're trying to manage characters through a middle ground, through sort of a transitional period. And that's what this felt like a little bit to me. This had to overcome some of the same obstacles that a movie like I, like the second and third Iron Man's and the second Thor did. And I will say, I thought this movie did a better job at that than those movies did. Okay, fair enough. Um, Going to throw out uh, just. You know, throw it out there because I was talking with Zach Bartles about this movie. He absolutely loved it. Um, thought it was uh, amazing. Uh, one of the one of his comments was that um, you know, looking back on like Sam Raimi and the the original one with Tobey Maguire and um, uh, that William Defoe was in. Uh, as Goblin, he actually you know really enjoyed that one, and he thought this one kind of you know, did a good job at blending some of the elements that he really liked, but but keeping it within this universe and keeping it real and alive here. Um, so um, maybe we'll get uh, Zach on for a brief uh, for a brief time to when we do our Stranger Things one to to talk about that real quick. But um, I will say that I enjoyed this one uh, more. I I really thought. There were aspects of Endgame, and we talked about this before. There were aspects of Endgame that I thought could have been uh, better and should have been better. I think they could have done done some things to make it a, a better movie, in my opinion. I thought this took some of those ideas that I had and implemented them um, in – and so I just – I really enjoyed – that level of 
of what I thought was missing in Endgame. Um, and then I thought it took it to another level. There wasn't anything that was a huge blowout surprise for me. Um, you know, I'll just uh, throw throw my cards on the table. There, I, I'm. Oh, let's uh, be... let's pause for one second. Are we going to do spoilers? Yes. Yeah, so, no spoil. I'm just going to say spoiler alerts coming oh, up. Okay. All right. So, um, you know, we're already an hour into the into the podcast. So, um, you know, I, I don't <laughs> I don't envision us going a ton longer. But I will say for the Spider Man segment, if you don't want spoilers, uh, go ahead and turn it off now and come back after you've seen it. Um, the, the whole Mysterio plot line, um, was not, uh, did not surprise me. I actually, if you listen to these go to 11, I actually called what was going to happen on there before the movie was even released in theaters. Um, I, I basically said, I think this is what's going to happen. I don't think it's going to be, you know, um, yeah. any of the other Let me number ask a of quick things. question about that. Um, yeah. that, uh, Nathan, do you really like? Do you think that that was supposed to be a big surprise? Because I think, like, I, I guess it depends on like if you know who Mysterio is, as you did. Because I think even before the the East Go to Eleven podcast, I think you and I were standing in the parking lot of uh, of one of the, the comic shops and we were talking about right. this and, and saying right off the bat, like, okay. And I don't think we'd even had that second trailer yet where he talks about the multiverse and right. all of this. Um, and and for the record, I think that the multiverse exists. I just think that Mysterio is, you know, he he's just kind of stumbled on it by um, by a happy accident to to make it his his plot, you know. Right. But I think I don't think that means that Marvel is negating the multiverse. We've seen Doctor Strange enter these alternate worlds and whatnot. Yes. Yeah. But um, so that being said, I, I wonder how much of that really was supposed to be a surprise because, yeah, it didn't surprise me. Uh, it didn't even surprise my son. He's like, he's Mysterio, the master of illusion. I'm like, well, right. how did you know that? And he's like, well, I have that poster on my wall, Dad, that says master of illusion. You're like, oh, fair <laughs> enough. You're right. So, uh, so the seven-year-old got it. So uh, and, and, and he called it like, oh, I don't think those monsters are real, Dad. And and, and really by, by process of elimination, this movie goes into about 30 minutes – uh, 40 minutes where uh, it's clear that there's no other um, villain emerging. It's just these creatures. And uh, I will say Gyllenhaal kind of – like they don't really try to convince you of anything else. They don't build any real relationship between he and Mysterio. There's a couple of half-hearted scenes, mm-hmm. but there's not enough. It's it, The distance is always there, so you are to feel like Mysterio is just playing him. So when we have that ultimate reveal, I just sort of like, okay. like I, I, It's almost like the plot's just advancing exactly as you expected it to happen. Um, yeah, and I, I would say I think um – I, I I was actually more curious on how they were going to um I didn't think there was ever necessarily a question of Mysterio was going to be the next uh villain. Um my question was more along the lines of for those of you who are listening to the buzzing, my phone was dying, I had to plug it in, so if you're hearing some buzzing, that's all it is right now. I was on ten percent battery, so just FYI. Um but I, I don't think there was so much uh, a shock value of, oh, this is – he's going to be the villain. But I was wondering if they were going to – if there was going to be this big thing and somehow 
in this battling and in this partnership with Peter Parker, he kind of moves into um, this insanity where he becomes the bad guy and he becomes the master of illusion at that point. Uh, more, so, more of a uh, Doc Ock as opposed to... Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's yeah. more what I... That, that would have really been, uh, I think, a unique twist for me in the storyline. Um, now, it's interesting, though, that you say that because there are still a ton of people who are unfamiliar with all these storylines in these comics. What they know about the comics and the characters is coming from what they're seeing in these movies. To them, this is this is the origin story. This is the character. There's yeah. nothing more or nothing less to it. Um, it- and I would say, though, I feel like even without knowing who Mysterio is, or even if he is a bad, you know, if he's a, a bad guy, if he's a villain, uh, they're still using the, that that basic feeling of how you know this doesn't stray so far outside the Marvel template that you sort of don't figure, you know, yeah. you kind of figure out mostly what's happening. Um, and I honestly, I was fine with it. Are they. I there was a little bit of an emphasis where I felt like they might have been trying a little too hard to be on the nose about reflecting sort of the the current climate we're in in terms of you know the way Mysterio is spinning uh, absurd lies as the truth you know I did enjoy the way they worked with that but mm-hmm. that it, it felt like they were sometimes trying so hard to reflect where we are that sometimes I'm not sure if it worked as well for the story because I didn't I didn't really get a feeling for Jake Gyllenhaal as this real character. It kind of started to feel like Iron Man 3 to me when they sort of reveal ultimately that also the uh, you know that the Mandarin storyline is sort of a sham. Hmm. I think this was handled way better. Mm-hmm. I think that they, they did a much better job here uh, and I was kind of I did, was intrigued by how they were they were pulling off that illusion and and what was ultimately behind it. Yeah. Um, I guess here's my thing, which is probably not what most people will feel. I was really into the almost Clark Griswold esque like European trip adventure angle of this movie. Uh-huh. Uh The interactions of he and his classmates. Even starting from the very opening scene, which I thought was fabulous, where you see the the handmade video that the kids have made yeah, for yeah. their like their homeroom. You know, it, it's the thing that's airing at school. It's the tribute to the fallen heroes, right? And uh, it's just with, with you know um, Whitney Houston playing over the back. That entire thing was genius. And then dealing, we you know. I think we had all talked on the podcast. Well, why is Ned and why is everybody the same age? And it's like, oh well, that's easy to explain. They were all, all snapped out of existence, right. but. But Spider-Man does a really nice job of making that feel natural to the world. We started the sna- the blip, I think is what they kind of call it. Yep. Here. And you start getting a little bit of what the world has been like, even more so than what we saw in Endgame, of, of now what it's like when everyone comes back. And the scene of the marching band popping back onto the, right, onto right the middle the- of the game <laughs> right. uh, was great. And, and the idea that, hey, some of these kids that were like, five years younger than them are now their same age. So like Peter's now got to contend with this kid who was previously like some little pipsqueak and now he's possibly going to move in on MJ. And, uh, I liked all of that stuff a lot and I enjoyed that. And I enjoyed the interactions between, I think the Tom Holland and the Zendaya interactions between the two of them. That's the best Peter Parker, MJ stuff we've had to date. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that so much that I kind of just wanted that to be the movie. Like I, I was getting a little irritated because 
to me the Mysterio and the Giants and all that stuff, and even the even the um, even the Nick Fury stuff was was not as interesting as what's going on with Peter and he's navigating how he feels and his commitments to being Spider-Man. Uh, that stuff's always been the most interesting, but here it really seemed to be on a level where you got this movie and you got that movie, and I kind of want that movie to move more to the right. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, when Mysterio finally reveals himself and we start to get those scenes where he is putting Peter Parker through these really dark and kind of intense hallucinations. Yeah. Now, that's where it really started to become a kind of comic book Spider-Man movie that I was looking for. And then from everywhere from there to the end, I was really into all of that. And it is a good movie. I just kind of I, I, I feel like I wanted them to finesse and, and merge those two pieces a little more. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I can I can definitely see and appreciate um, you know, some of that. Um, but I I just to me I just I I loved it from beginning to end the the whole European road trip thing like you were talking about was phenomenal. I loved the uh and and Zach and I were talking about this Ned and his uh his summer girlfriend hookup thing was hysterical. Um, that whole story arc um, was absolutely great. The two, uh, and, and we'll get to these more in depth, but I really like the two uh, extra scenes at the end. Uh, Marvel. They actually, know. they actually meant something for a change. Like, yeah, I, I always like the end scenes, but lately they've been pretty um, lackluster. Like you just say, like, "Oh, that's a fun thing." Okay, cool. But these had impact upon the plot. Yes, and and so we'll get to those in a second, but. Um, but yeah, I just I really enjoyed it. Um, I the I, I think you're right in the sense that I wish they had spent a little more time developing the Mysterio um, Spider-Man dynamic because to me the betrayal would have been that much greater. Um, you don't you don't feel like he really quite knows him at this point. Like he's just right. sort of sort of trying to get this thing off of his plate right. and that's kind of what happens and i don't and it's hard to buy that because of how much tony meant to him that he would just do that so sort of quickly um and i think i so i think it's just about as good as homecoming but my thing with homecoming that pushes that one over is michael keaton was so good as the vulture mm. and that that reveal that they do when they're at the uh when he when they both realize who the other guy who is? The other one, yeah, like that was like so perfectly. strong. Yeah, and there's nothing like that between these two characters. There's nothing that really that that makes Mysterio seem like this really engaging villain. Um, he kind of does start to feel like just another puppet master on the lines of Guy Pierce in Iron Man three or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. he's not at the level of the Dark Elves. I'll give him that, but. Uh, um, <laughs> And I, I think he had potential. I just don't think they quite get him there as a villain. Like I don't think uh, they, they certainly could have given us another really strong villain on the on the heels of Thanos. I don't think that's what they were trying for. I don't think we're really supposed to think Mysterio is this great villain. He causes us a lot of collateral damage, both for the world and for Peter. But I don't know that we're really supposed to be thinking of. I, I don't think they were trying to do another Vulture or a Green Goblin or something like that. But I kind of wish they had. Well, and in all fairness, Mysterio, from what I remember in the comics, was never really uh, that kind of a villain to begin with. Um, to me, from from what I remember, he was always like he was always a foe, but he was never like 
he was never the square you know he was he was always more formidable with which is where i think they they may end up going with this um because because while it seems to to indicate um and again spoilers that mysterio is no longer around it's a comic book and you never really know um i think they might be leading to the sinister 6 and so if they I, end I up, think so, yeah. that's where Mysterio was always the strongest was throwing up the illusions to allow the others to come in and go after Peter Parker. You know, he was never to me, he was never the standalone villain that really was able to, you know, take him down on his own. And so he was almost that weaker villain, you know, uh, in the comics, in my opinion. So to me, this fit very well with his story arc and storyline. Um, but, uh, tell, uh, tell me what you thought. Let's start with that first end scene credit because, um, I, I I'm itching to talk about that one. <laughs> yeah. I want I want to say two other very sure, things absolutely. first. Uh, one of them being like, I, you know, if it sounds like I'm down on the movie, saying I like, it, I'm not, I'm not really, I, I would actually put it, I'd say it's the, it's right on the same line as Homecoming. I know mm-hmm. I said I liked Homecoming better, but I'd say they're the same quality of movie. Yeah. And then the only two Spider-Man movies I preferred to these were uh, – I, I still really love Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2. Yeah. I'm not a huge – I think that that Far From Home is better than Spider-Man 1, the, the, the Tobey Maguire one. It's obviously – it's it's way better than the Andrew Garfield ones, although I didn't have a problem with Garfield as Spider-Man. And – uh, but I'd say Into the Spider-Verse and Spider-Man 2 are better. And then you've really got these two movies sitting kind of uh, next to each other. You know, mm-hmm. it's a perfectly good companion piece to Homecoming, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, th- that being said, the two other things, I what did you think? How were your feelings about the way they used Tony Stark in here? I mean, we saw Tony Stark a lot. Like, not not obviously acting in the film, but every mm-hmm. time, which which just sort of underscored that point that I think you had made before about, like, some of the writers that tried to say, oh, well, you know, Black Widow, she's kind of behind the scenes and nobody knows about her sacrifice. But the kids put her in the video at the beginning. Right. So people know she died. Right. So that kind of creates a rift for me. I'm like, OK. But then they don't do anything with that. We just keep seeing Tony, Tony, yeah. Tony everywhere. I mean, it gets almost comical because there are places where, like, was Tony really – like, we understand he he, he he sacrificed himself, but Tony had kind of fallen out of the public eye for like about five years after the blip, right? Like right, he's living yeah. In a, so like, would he really be? You know, everyone's just bam, he's Iron Man again. Uh, so there was that. I I did like the. I knew they had to use him in that way, and I liked the way they used him in Tom Holland's life. I really liked uh, the way they brought Happy in yes. and really folded him into the story and kind of made him the surrogate really the real surrogate for for tony stark and i really enjoy the scene when he looks over and sees peter building the new suit and he kind of has that nostalgia moment for realizing how similar they are yeah and uh so i enjoyed that i wanted more of the of the ant i wanted to be more than a joke like the aunt may like happy hogan like back and forth i wanted more of that in the movie honestly yes yeah, no, I agree. The whole Tony Stark thing. So, so let me say this. One of the things that I really liked about this was even in that little montage that you see at the beginning of of the the school when they're first opening up. To me, was better than than what they did at the end of Endgame. 
I, I felt like if they had taken that and put it in Endgame, I, I honestly, to me, it would have been jarring. <laughs> well, but there would have been. See, to me, the the fact that there was more Tony was appropriate in this movie because we're looking at everything through through Spider-Man's eyes, through Peter yeah. Parker's eyes, and that was his. That was his idol. That was his best friend. And so, to me, it was appropriately Tony Stark because that's where we are right now. We're, we're watching everything through his perspective. He's just lost this huge influence in his life um, that meant everything to him, uh, the person who took him under his wing. And so, to me, this was where it was supposed to be. I, I wish that they had taken it less out of Endgame um and 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 I had no problem with it in here. So you know, to everybody who listened to the last one we did, that was my biggest problem. I didn't have a problem with it here because to me, this is where it was appropriate for the and, character. And, yeah, it's fine. It's not even that. It's just that, like, after a little bit, it was like it's not. It's not the parts where where Peter Parker is talking about Tony Stark. Mm. It's the fact that like. Every country he goes to, the first thing we see is a giant wall with Iron Man painted on it. Yeah, like yeah. it's some of that where I'm like, we don't really need that because he's clearly at the forefront of Tony's mind. There's a really creepy uh, hallucination that yes. Mysterio gives him, where yeah. Tony literally climbs out of the grave as a rotting skeleton inside the Iron Man costume. I did not see that coming. Right, right. Uh, Zombie so, Stark. Um, yeah, Zombie Stark. So there were surprises throughout it. And then speaking of surprises, that credit scene you asked me what i thought about it. i loved that credit scene yeah i had no idea they were bringing um jk simmons back oh my Jonah gosh Jameson. yes and oh. th- that in of itself if it had just been some random clip of of jonah jameson and the the fact that they've recalibrated him and i understand that some of this work had already been done in the spider-man uh ps4 game you know mm-hmm. he's sort of i think he becomes a radio rush limbaugh personality yeah, yeah, yeah. and this has taken him a little closer to like an alex jones kind of like conservative like uh conspiracy host kind of guy on, on television yep. but to have him show up to bring and i i really like that they brought uh simmons back because i really thought they i think he kind of got shortchanged when DC cast him as Commissioner Gordon and it did nothing with him. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he had almost the same amount of screen time in this small right. clip that he had as Gordon in that in that Justice League movie. So I love that, but I love even more what this scene is doing. It is upending everything. Spider-Man, really, if you think about it, is the last of the mass superheroes in the MCU, as far as we kind of know it. Like, that's the weird thing when you think about the MCU. Uh, all, all, the, all the DC characters still have their personas, but everybody knows who Iron Man is. Everybody knows the Hulk is Bruce Banner, that Black Widow is Natasha. You know, yeah. there, there aren't any hidden pieces the way that there always have been in comic books. Uh, except for Peter Parker, who's always been playing this game. You know, that's a bit. That's always a huge component, though, of who Peter has been, at least in the movies, is this ability to protect people by hiding my identity. Yeah. And a lot of the fun and a lot of the suspense of the movies is play, played out with how do I keep my identity separated? So this is really going to be a kind of a different Peter Parker, even in the, the comic books that we've really experienced. If we if we legitimately have this. Uh, continue where the whole world knows he's spider-man yeah and so what i one of the things that i was going to say is this is actually um 
Joy really liked the movie. She thought it was a great movie. The only thing she didn't like was this end scene where he had the reveal because she, to her, that pushed it too far into the realm of Tony Stark. I mean, we've talked before. Tony Stark is not her favorite character at all. And so this just pushed it one side into that realm. Do you do you think that they're actually going to um, make him continue to reveal his identity or do you think they're going to do what the comics do and find him find some clever way to diffuse it because i really think they're going to find some way to diffuse it and he's going to come up with some way so that he people uh, don't think that he is spider-man what are your thoughts on that uh if they're brave they won't do that but you're probably right Mm -hmm. um i see the difference here between and i think that the connection to Tony Stark because they've because they've tied Tony Stark and Spider Man in this iteration that's been done. I mean that that was done the minute that he was introduced in Civil War because he was handpicked by Tony. Right. He's always going to be tied to Tony, and I'm and as you just said, I'm okay with that. That's part of the character. Mm-hmm. But part of what's happening in this is showing the ways in which he's like Tony and the ways in which he's different than Tony, mm-hmm. and he is a very different person than Tony. So. He's also – the circumstances are totally different. Tony does this of his own volition at the end of Iron Man. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a little bit of his own hubris that he reveals who he is. Right. He does it on his own terms. Peter Parker, it's, and it's, this is the thing that underscores who Spider-Man has always been. Things are always being done to Spider-Man. Right. He's, he's always rising to the occasion. He's always – making our choices but he's not the he's not superman he's not the child of privilege he's not you know he's the guy who's always scraping and coming up short a lot of times in all the iterations you know he can't save Gwen Stacy he's there's things that he's limited by and that always bite him no matter what he tries and so this is the classic Peter Parker in a sense of when he grabs his head and screams yeah. After this video is played this is a classic Spider-Man mess that he's now in but yeah. I think the smart choice is to have him, no pun intended, swing into it and find his own way through it. And in that, we start to see the contrast in the ways he's different than Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it has to be an Iron Man situation. I don't think it quite is an Iron Man situation. I do get, I do get the connections, um, but again, I think it opens up a very interesting problem. And I think it does open the door, like to the Sinister Six, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I loved it. I thought that it was a perfect uh, ending to what was a pretty solid, you know, we've advanced this Spider-Man storyline quite a bit in just this one movie. Yeah. We're not sort of just spinning our wheels. And I really enjoyed it. And I, I was appreciated that that scene was another level of that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And then um, the final scene that we have uh, where it's revealed, uh, you know, the scroll are – uh, they actually, you know, some of them went off, but there are some that are still here. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, particularly in light of, you know, moving into the next phase of the MCU? Do you think we're going to end up getting, you know, the the scroll invasion on, you know, that that more classic comic book level, or do you think this is just, um, you know, kind of a Hey, this was a fun scene. We're going to pull Nick Fury back and we're going to leave. What what do you think? You know, I'm not sure. And and the scene's fun. I'm not sure quite what it accomplishes because it makes me think about 
it makes me think about things and it kind of falls apart when you start to try and think about it. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not quite sure given given the amount of threat that Thanos is, right, or that was. Yeah. It seems odd that like that like Nick Fury's go like when he hears that if if Nick Fury really thinks there's destructive elementals on Earth, unless he just I guess the idea is he's totally unaware of that. He's just chilling and he doesn't know it happens at all. You know, but it, it, it just seems odd that he leaves these characters who are fun characters. They were cool in, in Captain Marvel, but they do, it's not like they really seem to understand the intricacies of what – like I'm not quite sure why Nick Fury has them there pretending right. to be him. Yeah, Like I'm not quite – I didn't quite get that and that wouldn't be such an issue. But through the movie, I kept thinking – Nick Fury seems like he's really in the dark about stuff. Like right, right. the actual film, it was almost like it was almost as if the scene was created after the fact. Like the test audiences were like, "Why does Nick Fury seem so dumb? Uh, not dumb, but almost clueless." And so I don't think that's the case. But like right. then you have this revelation that um, you know it's these scroll characters. Uh, I don't know that we're headed for a scroll invasion story. I think that Captain Marvel sort of probably gave us about what we're going to get with that. I don't think we've seen the end of the scrolls, but the scrolls have definitely played as a sympathetic characters mm-hmm. at this point in time. I think that, I think these scrolls are going to hang around. Ben Mendelsohn's great. I really enjoyed his character in Captain Marvel. So it was fun to see him here for a few more minutes. Um, I, I wonder if we're not going to see sort of, so is Nick Fury headed back to earth, you know, where I would have almost rather, I'm not quite sure the entire purpose or if i was missing something in terms of what this scene this scene was supposed to imply something bigger because it was cool to see him on that spaceship but we know he has a relationship to some extent with the scrolls uh it would be cooler to see them maybe head off into space with the idea that fury's headed out to do something out there i i'd be interested in seeing i'd be almost more interested in seeing nick fury interacting with somebody like the guardians of the galaxy than seeing thor interact with the guardians of the galaxy not because i don't like thor with them but We've seen Thor in this kind of wild out there scenarios in Ragnarok. I don't know that we, you know, we get hints of that in Captain Marvel, but I'd like to see Nick Fury put in that kind of scenario. Sure, sure. Nice. How about you? What did you think? Um, I enjoyed it. I, I'm like, I'm with you. I don't know if this is going to kind of be a, um, you know, I, I, it's a little. St- early still to, to make a prediction on where they're going to go with this. Um, you know, there were, there were a couple of, you know, references to scrolls throughout the movie. And then there was the reveal at the end with the scrolls. And so, um, I don't know if they're going to try to weave it in that way or, um, or if they're going to, you know, introduce us to someone else, uh, that, that they're going to be moving through, um, I, to me, at this point, it's just kind of a laughable throwaway scene, you know. Um, I enjoyed it, but really, you know, other than that, it was kind of like, huh, okay. It informs the story a little bit. It, it gives good reason. I mean, obviously, Nick Fury's got to uh, he he's got to to be a little bit in the dark on things in order for Mysterio to do everything he's doing, right? So instead of like just like oh Nick Fury lost his mind, oh it was the scrolls. Although I do, I really don't get uh, how it is. I mean, they make a joke. Oh, the shapeshifter was tricked, but it seems really weird that the scrolls would fall for the levels of deception that happen when you look think back across the movie. Yeah, like there's moments where 
where Nick Fury's walking into a building that's not even really there. Right. You know? Right. And I'm like, would Nick Fury do this? And then even more so, would a shape-shifting scroll do? Like, can't they can't they sense or feel thoughts, uh, you right. know, as they take? So I – all of that felt a little bit like, uh, I don't know. But the, that's that's reading too much into it. It was a fun scene and it, un, it wasn't it, – it, again, also had some bearing on the movie we just watched. Not a ton, but a little bit. Yep. Yeah. So I, I think it's about as good as we could uh, we we could probably um, hope it would be, and it didn't drop the ball coming off of Ben Game. So I I I obviously I recommend it, and I thought it was yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. I would I would guess you're probably with this Spider Man where I was with End Game. You know, a lot of people when I when I did that, I got a lot of flack. Oh, you hated End Game, but no, I didn't hate End Game. I thought it was a good movie. I wanted. I wanted some other things differently from it to make it for me a great movie. Um, and so I would suspect this is where you are with this movie that it's a good movie. I think there are some other things that it would need in order to be a great movie. Yeah. And that's kind of how I come down on most of the Marvel movies. There's very few of them that I feel, uh, particularly MCU that are great. There are plenty of them. I think are pretty good. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and this is in the upper tier, I, I, I would say. It's definitely, as, as far as the Marvel sequels go, it's definitely one of the stronger ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of people didn't love it, but I, I did quite enjoy the second Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I can't think of a lot of the sequels that I've really, like the second movies of the series, except for Winter Soldier, that I really enjoyed. So I think that um, Far From Home definitely has a leg up on a lot of them uh, from that perspective. Sure. Sure. Nice. Well, awesome, man. It was uh, it was good getting together and and talking. We got a you know solid. We covered a lot of we did a lot of stuff. What we is that did. like an hour and a half? Yeah, pretty close. We're at an hour and twenty minutes right now. So that's like old school. That's like some of the like that's what happens. The whole su- you just encapsulated a whole summer in. <laughs> that's right in one podcast. Well, hopefully we'll be able to make this a more semi regular basis, and you know maybe try to to once a month get on and and do a podcast on some things. So like I said. I'm I'm going to pick up that movie premiere pass, and so I'll see some more movies, and uh, we'll we'll have some more to talk about when that happens. Yeah, man. What are you are you going to see? A scary stories to tell in the dark? Oh my gosh! I <laughs> I really yeah I really want to, but um, you know right now uh, when it, when is that coming out? Is that slated August for sometime. okay it's like August? Yeah. All right. Well, we'll we'll see if it's still in theaters in September. Then I then I may go ahead and and try to see it. So, but I'll grab uh, you on a, like a Tuesday five dollar day. We'll go. We'll go oh, check nice. it out. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd be down for that. I'd definitely be down for that. That sounds like a plan. All right, man. Uh, it was a lot of fun, Nathan. I will talk to you again soon. I guess we'll talk for Stranger Things. Yep, that sounds great. All we'll right. go ahead and as soon as uh, as soon as Zach finishes up, I think he said he's on like episode seven or something like that. And uh, my plan is to uh, Friday when I get home from work, start and just uh, binge watch throughout the entire night. So I should be finished up by by Saturday. Cool. All right, man. Take care. All right. Talk to you later. These go to 11.